back. You're listening to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, filling in for Al, who is on vacation this week. I don't think there's any question that we need, as a Catholic Church, as Catholic people, to do a better job with evangelization. Um, as more and more nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are uh, on the rise, as we are losing numbers in the Church, we need to do more to reach out. But what does that look like? What does that mean? And where can we draw our inspiration from? Helping us answer those questions, Mike Aquilina, he is the author of a brand new book, Friendship and the Fathers, How the Early Church Evangelized. Mike uh, is an author of more than 60 books, including the book I just mentioned. He's the Executive Vice President of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, based in Steubenville, Ohio. He also serves as a contributing editor of Angelus News and general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series, published by Ave Maria Press. He hosts the Way of the Fathers podcast for Catholic Cultures, and he's co-hosted 11 television series on EWTN and two independently produced documentaries on the early church. Uh, now, that would be enough for most people, but no, not Mike Aquilina. He's also a poet and songwriter whose works have been recorded by rock legends such as Dion Dimitri, Paul Simon, you heard me right, Van Morrison, Amy Grant, and Jeff Beck. He is married, a father of six, and a grandfather of four. Mike Aquilina, welcome to Cresta in the Afternoon. Hey, how you doing, Dr. Uh, Greg? Thanks for having me on. I'm well, and my first question to you is, why must you be so awesome? <laughs> I'm not going to make you answer that. Wait, my wait, I'm going to put this on speakerphone so my, ears, my kids can hear this. <laughs> well, getting to the meat of it, though, you, you have a brand new book out called Friendship and the Father is How the Early Church Evangelized. Um, let's talk about this idea of evangelization and, and especially what it has to do with friendship, because I think when most people think evangelization, they don't necessarily tie that to the idea of friendship. Why no, do you? No, they don't. <laughs> they, they really don't. It, what, what people think of today is that that's uh, a polysyllabic word. It's a big, long, Latinate word, and I'm sure they have an office for it in the Chancery Building, uh, you know, of the diocese. Evangelization. Maybe, you know, if you're at a big suburban parish, you have somebody who's in a director of evangelization. Maybe you're not sure what he does for a living. But, I, I mean, we think of evangelization <laughs> as programs and offices and and money that we're throwing at something really we think of evangelization as stuff that happens on the media you know and and uh... and and it always it's always the work of professionals professional evangelizers and evangelists well and it even seems to me if 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 and if we do evangelization it's more kinda like you know arguing with people about faith stuff right and and yes. like engaging in apologetics or whatever and i'm not saying apologetics isn't important but that's that's a different thing than what evangelization actually is it is it is you know if you talk to to most converts when they tell you their conversion story they'll often do it especially men will will tell their conversion story as a series of arguments or they'll say they read their way into the church and they make it out to be an intellectual exercise. But if you really dig into the story, most often you find out that somewhere along the way there was a person who came into their lives and modeled the faith for them, showed them what the possibilities were, uh, you know, showed them what it meant to be truly happy or, or truly loved, and they wanted what that person had. So even today, I think that most people who are evangelized effectively are evangelized through friendship, and that was certainly the case in the early church. 
So, so let's talk a bit about this. Uh, you know, so what what inspired you to write Friendship and the Fathers and, and and reflect on evangelization through this lens? You are responsible, actually. You are responsible. <laughs> oh, man, culpa, man, maximum culpa. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought me to Notre Dame to deliver a paper, and I delivered my paper, and it was on the early church and family life. And as I was walking back to my seat. Uh, Pat, uh, Pat Riley from Catholic University of America just tapped me on the shoulder and he said, you should write a book about the fathers and friendship. Now, I had been talking about the fathers and friendship for many years, but I just said to Pat, I said, there's not enough material. So I sat down in my seat, Greg, and I started making a list of what material could go in such a book. And by the time the next talk was over, I had a book's worth of material outlined in my lap, so I went ahead and wrote the book. <laughs> well, well it, was a, it was a good use of, of, of the talk I gave then. You just you know, sort of... Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I was still listening to the talk. Oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> no worries. Uh, it was, this sounds like it was a much more productive use of the time. But so, so it, what's the idea of Friendship and the Fathers? You know, how, when you, when you, when you f- suddenly discovered that there actually was enough material to do a book on this, w- yeah. what did you learn? Well, you know, I, this is what I've learned, and, I, and I've actually been saying this for a long time, because I picked it up in a book that was written back in the 90s, the, the Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. He's a sociologist. He's an agnostic. And he did all the research on the early church to try to figure out why the church grew at a rate of 40% per decade for 275 years. 40% per decade, the church grew, for almost 300 years, when it was a capital crime to be a Christian. You could be executed for your Christianity. The church just kept growing. That's really mind-boggling. I don't think people recognize that. I, mean, I just want to hit that again. I mean, you know, we, we, we started with, what, like, you know, 500 people in the back, back, back end of the Roman Empire, and mm-hmm. to take over the entire world in a period of 500 years, like you said, by growing at 40% per decade, Again, when, when the church was outlawed, insane. And I, think, I think when pe- yeah, when people people consider that today, they imagine it to be like the scene in the Acts of the Apostles in the first Pentecost. They imagine it to be this this supernatural event where thousands are just moved to repent and convert on the spot. But that's not the way it happened. Stark says there's no evidence after Pentecost of mass conversions during that time period. No evidence anywhere. So how did it happen? He explains that it happened primarily through friendship. It happened through friendship. There were there was no office of evangelization in any diocese. There was only <laughs> Christians. There, there, there were there were only Christians out there befriending the people next door, getting into their lives, doing kindnesses for them. You you know the the refrain from the early church what the pagans used to say, see those Christians, how they love one another. People saw the love in Christians' hearts and in their homes, and they wanted what those Christians had. There is abundant evidence of this. There's, there's, there's so much evidence of this from the period of the Fathers that friendship was the primary means of evangelization for all those years when the Church was growing at 40% per decade. One of the points that Lisa and I make on, the program, on our program, More to Life, that uh, airs at 10 a.m. Eastern every weekdays on EWTN, is when we talk about building the kingdom of God, it sounds like such a big concept, right? We're going to do big mm-hmm. things for Jesus, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but really, and as St. John Paul, I think, emphasized this in his Theology of the Body, but, but I think you're speaking to this too, that, that building the kingdom of God 
isn't about doing big things for Jesus. It's about doing those little things to strengthen our relationships, to make our relationships healthier and holier, and, and to broaden those networks of relations. That's what building the, the kingdom of God and the body of Christ really means. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Oh, that, that's right. How did the Church grow at a rate of 40% per decade? Because Christians were the ones who would, who would make a meal for the next-door neighbors when they had a death in the family. Christians were the ones who would, who would give them a ride, you know, to, to, to the places where they needed to go. Um, Christians were the ones who came through for their friends. Christians showed that they had virtue, and you could rely on them. And, and the friendship blossomed. One of my favorite documents from the early church is called the Octavius, and it was written in the 100s. It was written around the year 190 by a lawyer named Marcus Minucius Felix, and it's a novelistic memoir he wrote. And he wrote it about one holiday weekend that he spent with two of his lawyer friends at a resort. Now, it sounds like an improbable document from, from early Christianity, but it was just this, 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 um, this memory he had of going on vacation with two of his buddies, both, all three of them lawyers. Two of them were Christian. One of them was a pagan. And they get there, and one of the Christians said something that offended the pagan. And the pagan said he was offended. And Minucius Felix said, you know, we have to clear the air here. So we're all lawyers why don't you two argue the case? You for paganism, you for Christianity, and I'll be the judge and I'll tell you who wins. And it's this beautiful document because of all the small touches all the way through it, but they have an honest conversation, a frank conversation, surely a difficult conversation, but they recognize it's a conversation they have to have if they're going to continue in a genuine friendship. And it's a beautiful outcome, too, because at the end of it, the, the, the pagan converts to Christianity. So two, you know, two Christians go with the pagan and three Christians come back. It's a beautiful <laughs> document and it must have been true because all three of the men who are depicted in it are known quantities. They were real people who lived in Rome at that time and they were prominent lawyers. You couldn't make up stuff about them. It's a gorgeous story of friendship and for me it really is kind of a template for evangelization today. And you know, you know, you started out by saying that that you know, evangelization isn't about making the best argument, but 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 in the story, it does involve an argument, but but it's rooted in this relationship, this friendship, a discussion that never would have happened had yes. these men not had this connection and valued that connection enough to have these hard discussions. That's right. You can tell that there's already that context there. There's already a relationship of affection and trust. They get there, and that's when some of their differences come out into the open. And, and they already have enough of a relationship that they can say, let's, let's work through this, and they do. It's, it's a beautiful document, and it's, 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 a, a, it's a beautiful story. It's a different experience than we have finding some random dude on Facebook and then starting some argument with them about the faith. <laughs> <laughs> the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of it. I'm going to ask you to hang on, Mike. We're going to continue into the second segment here. I want to keep unpacking what we can learn from the fathers about what we need to do as a church today to be more effective at evangelization. Um, but we have to take a break. So just stick around. We're talking with Mike Aquilina. He is the author of a brand new book, Friendship and the Fathers, How the Early Church Evangelized. It's just a terrific exploration of what we can learn as Christians today about 
what needs to be done to get the gospel out there into people's hearts, connect community, build these relationships. As Mike was pointing out in this segment, the, the early church grew at a, I mean, at a mind-boggling rate of 40% per decade at a time when it was illegal to be a Christian. You know, we, we worry today about religious oppression in our relatively free society. Back then, you could be killed for being Christian, and yet the church grew 40% per decade to take over the entire pretty much known world in 500 years. What could we do better? And how can we learn from their lessons? We'll keep unpacking that with Mike Aquilina when Cresta in the Afternoon comes back after this break. Stick around. This week at AveMariaRadio.net's Poll of the Week, we want to know, do you think the bishops will draft a document about Eucharistic coherence? Let us know now by going to AveMariaRadio.net, scrolling down on the homepage and clicking on Poll of the Week. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, filling in for Al, who is on vacation this week. We are continuing our conversation with Mike Aquilina. He is the author of many books. His latest is Friendship and the Fathers, How the Early Church Evangelized. We're talking about how we can learn today from the early church what it takes to really get the gospel out there in ways that can allow our church to grow exponentially, very much as the early church did, 40% per decade for Five, close to 500 years. It's remarkable. Mike, well, welcome back to more uh, to Crest in the Afternoon. Thanks for having me back. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of friendship, though. You're, you're saying that, that the key to evangelizing the ancient world was relationships, was friendship. Um, but, you know, that means different things to different people. Uh, and, and Christians, I think, have a different idea of, of friendship than, than a lot of people do. Let's, let's start with, you know, were there pagan ideas about friendship, and how did they differ maybe from those, those Christian ideas? That's a great question. Uh, and, and I think that, that there, well, first of all, there were pagan ideas about friendship, and I think that the Christians showed such an attractive difference that people saw, saw the, the, the difference, and they gave Christi Christians the, um, the competitive advantage, so to speak. Um, you know, Aristotle wrote about friendship in his Nicomachean Ethics. Um, Cicero wrote a very influential book about, about friendship. And Cicero uh, said um, that, uh, that, that friends had to share everything in common. They had to have the same politics. They had to have the same religious views. They had to have the same opinions. One friend should not make more money or less money than the other friend. Right? So everybody had to be equal in every way, because otherwise it would create awkward dependences and that sort of thing. Cicero would have none of that in a true friendship. So what, what, did, that, what did that accomplish? Well, it created a bubble, right, where everybody thought the same. We do that today with social media. We can friend the people who are like us. <laughs> we can block the people who are unlike us, and we never have to hear a contrary opinion. We never have to be disturbed in our friendships. Christians were not like that. Christians had a different kind of model. 
who was their model? It was Jesus Christ who said to these <laughs> bozos he had called to be his apostles, who, who didn't seem to get his message most of the time, who abandoned him or betrayed him eventually, and he knew that was coming. He looked at them and he said, I call you friends. This is God looking at human beings and not ex- exactly shining examples of human beings and telling them they are his friends. He's befriending them. If God can do that with us, then Christians need to be open to friendship with others, any others, not based on social class, not based on similar accomplishments or similar politics or similar, so, uh, similar opinions. Out of every hundred people, we have to be interested in a hundred. We have to be open to friendship. That doesn't mean we're going to befriend a hundred of them, but it means we have to be open to it. We have to, we have to have that kind of heart. We have to be able to make ourselves vulnerable that way, because Christ made himself vulnerable. Uh, you know, vulnerable means, at the root, woundable. And he was wounded for the sake of our friendship. We've got to follow him in his life, and we've got to follow his example in the way we make friends. You know, it's funny you mention that word vulnerability, because you know, I, I talk a lot about that uh, in, in, in our books on marriage and family life and cultivating a sense of healthy vulnerability. And I surprisingly get a lot of pushback on that idea because exactly what you said uh, it means that you could be hurt uh, yeah. and there's this sort of fear of well well if i if it doesn't that doesn't that make me a i don't know a patsy or something doesn't that make me a victim you're not ta- how do you mean that vulnerability and how does that actually facilitate the kind of relationships that evangelize well you you look at what happened in in the octavius by minutius felix right you had a disagreement there and one person being offended by the other it doesn't mean that the friendship needs to end it doesn't mean that you have to cast that person into the outer darkness and block them from ever approaching you again what you do is you work through it okay you work through it you say this friendship is worth something to me and i'm willing to do the hard work the painful work of going of reconciliation you know that's that's every relationship we have greg it's every friendship we have the 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 really great friendships pass through these difficult times and and they go forward i tell the story in in my book and i and i and i illustrate it with many examples from the writings of of saint basil and gregory basil and gregory are two of the greatest saints in Christian history, two of the greatest minds in Christian history, and, and just these important historical figures um, because of what they accomplished in their lifetimes. They were close friends from youth, but they, they, they had these, these dust-ups every now and then because they, they had such different personalities, and they were insensitive to one another, and, and they had these ruptures in their friendship. But they kept on just patching them up and going forward, and finally, yeah, at the end of the at the end of, of the story, you have Gregory outliving Basil and delivering the eulogy at his funeral, telling the story of their friendship and the way they patched it together over and over again. Uh, these are the examples we should be following, not the examples that we see out there on social media, where again, when you're offended, it means that you are virtuous and that you can drive everybody out who offended you. It's a really very interesting model and a, and, a, and I think a powerful reminder of uh, reminder or, or even challenge you know that calls all of us Christians to think differently about our friendships because how far we've come from that model you just described 
you know, where it's yeah. so easy to block somebody or just cut them out of our lives because we don't like their opinions or disagree with them. And, and what a difference it would make to say, you know, I, I'm committed enough to this relationship to work through this with you. You know, we hear a lot of talk about tolerance, but when we look at the lives of the early Christians, we find true tolerance. They were willing to put up with an awful lot. As a matter of fact, they were willing to, 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 to face up to the people who were persecuting them and befriend them. You know, some of the, the great stories from the third century uh, we have from, from the time of plague. Okay, the plague was raging through the empire. It may have killed off about a third of the people in the empire at that time. And in, in Egypt, we have these great stories of, of uh, Christians befriending their pagan neighbors. In Africa, we have the same stories of Christians befriending their pagan neighbors. Now, you think about it. These are the neighbors who were putting their family members to death the week before. But this week they have the plague. We see them in need. We go over. We make, the, we, we, we make them chicken soup. Why? Because their family has abandoned them to the illness. Because their friends have abandoned them to die. The Christians befriended them and converted their persecutors in this way. Well, and as I recall, you know, from from your book you mentioned, Rodney Stark's uh, Rise of Christianity, he even gives that example that, that when the pagans ran for the hills, Christians actually ministered to each other and their pagan neighbors, and, and that's another example of how Christianity spread. Uh, that's right, because you know that those pagans, when they survived, and, and many of them would, because of comfort care, it, it, it increases your, your chance of survival by 50%. So, so they, 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 when they survive, um, what happens? They say, I want whatever those people have, because they have something they're living for. They have something they're willing to die for. I want that. So that's the kind of uh, foundation that Christians provided for friendship. They showed themselves to be trustworthy. They showed themselves to be genuinely concerned. It wasn't an instrumental friendship. They weren't doing this in order to get a conversion out of it, to bag another, uh, another beast for the pelt, you know? They, they were doing it because friendship in itself is a good, and because Christ modeled friendship through his relationships with his apostles. So, you know, I'm, I'm an author of, of self-help books. I'm all about, you know, lists and tips and tricks and that sort of thing. In the few minutes that we have left, I'll just put you on the spot. If, if you were going to suggest things that our listeners should take from the example of the early Christians, the early fathers in particular, in, in terms of evangelizing through relationship, what are a few things that you would say that you would want every Catholic to do if you could work your will? Make, make, one simple thing. Make an examination of conscience. Do I know the names of my next-door neighbors? Do I know the names of the people who live two doors down? Am I aware of this? Okay, have I, have I made an effort to befriend the people who are very close to me? And it really would not require an extraordinary effort to get to know. Just a simple examination of conscience like that is the beginning. And then you can, you can apply the same principle to your workplace. Have I made an effort to get to know the, the concerns of the other people around me? Do I know their family members' names? Do, have I ever offered to pray for them in, 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 uh, in, in time of need? Uh, you know, these are the questions we should be asking ourselves, because I think we do have a tendency to isolate ourselves. You know, Greg, probably from, from the psychological research, that social isolation has been increasing for 30 years now. We're living in a time now where, where you know, uh, it, it used to be people reported an average of three friends, all right, on, in, in the United States. And now most people say they don't have a single friend. 
They don't have a single real friend they can confide in. Am I that friend for somebody else? We have to ask ourselves, am I putting myself out that way? Am I, am I making myself available to be a confidant to other people? Uh, again, it makes you vulnerable. <laughs> it, you have to, it, it, it costs something, but, it, but it's worth it. So, I mean, those are the things. Look at the opportunities that are around us. I remember, you know, I remember when, you know, you were mentioning the symposium that that, uh, you presented the paper on early church fathers and family life uh, in 2019 at Notre Dame that that, that I organized. Uh, And I remember your conversation with Pat Fagan from from Catholic University. And one of the suggestions he made along these same lines, he said, you know, to evangelize better, uh, if, if I could work my will, I'd have every Catholic family host a block party every year. And you wouldn't have to yes. do anything religious at all. You just have the you just yes. have the block party. You know, maybe you have grace before meals. But you know, you, you yes. just you know provide some wholesome entertainment, you're hospitable, you know, you get to know the and then, you know, nothing happens, right? But you, you do this every year and for four or five years and suddenly you get a call from a neighbor and say, You're Christian, right? And maybe they want to know about you know something going on in their marriage. Maybe they want to go on, learn about your church. Maybe, but 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 you've got a you've got a, a foot in there because you've actually invested in a very simple, easy way in the lives of the people around you. Absolutely, that is the model, and Pat nailed it. That was it. That that uh, you know, uh, if just to get into their lives so that they can have a glimpse of what it's like to be Christian, so they can have a glimpse of what it's like to be happy and to be loved because often they have no experience of this. If they can see that it's there and that it's within reach, that it's a possibility even for them, they'll want it. And they may even ask for it after years. Yeah, I want to be clear. It's not, you know, it's not doing this because you have an agenda or because you want to turn people into projects. It's because you really care about these people and you want to get to know them. And, and your house is the place where these people do get to know each other. And, and, and so they learn that you have a, a, an investment in relationships that other people don't. And so they want what you have. But it's not about turning people into projects, right? Yeah, absolutely. You don't instrumentalize friendship, and you don't make them think that you, you, they have to make certain benchmarks in order to remain friends with you, you know? It, it, you're, this, you're in it for the long haul, no matter what. <laughs> Mike, this is terrific. Thank you so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I never get enough chance to, to, to talk. We're going to have to set up more interviews so we can get our time together. But, <laughs> but I, want, I want people to go out and pick up this book, Friendship and the Fathers, How the Early Church evangelized just a terrific uh, reflection on how the church grew so exponentially through such simple means that every single one of you any for every single one of us can do today right now we don't have to be professional evangelizers we don't have to work for the office of evangelization we just have to be real and be friends again the book friendship and the fathers how the early church evangelized we're back right after this <laughs> 